Happy jazzy Sunday morning, Salt Lake City, Provo, Orm, and Colville. We hope it's starting off as a beautiful day in your neighborhood. You're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture, a weekly rambling and musing of the various things that are happening and making our greater Salt Lake Metroplex such a such a great city to live in. I am your host, Christian Anderson, uh, formerly of Umoka, but now just a cultural aficionado and advocate and cheerleader for the city. Uh, with me is my co-host, the inimitable Christy Marcy. Christy? Hey, Christian. How are you? You know, punctuality is probably what you are. I like this. There is not a minute wasted in your I'm schedule. I'm a little winded. I was... I was um, I was hauling it up those stairs, mostly just to get away from the Jonas Brothers fans here today. But That's true. In the breaking the fourth wall, even though we're airing on Sunday morning, it is actually recording time uh, Thursday afternoon. So we are a mere several hours from the Jonas Brothers taking the stage. I can hardly contain my excitement. I was here doing a commercial for uh, the new Punchbowl Social, and uh, the, the sound check was happening. So I kept having to go with Lloyd and redo it because there was ambient noise in the background but how, how come lloyd never asks me to do commercials i don't you should ask him that i should ask him that i don't know you could have done a fine job on punch bowl social i would think so yeah i would murdoch hyundai i've done or no hyundai i've done murdoch hyundai before yeah you have to say the word right that's an important part well, luckily, I don't have to do it in one take. The magic of radio, we can just do it over and over and over again. And people like producer Alex make us sound incredibly good. Producer Alex is with us today. How are you doing, Alex? Doing pretty great. Great. We are counting on you to bring your millennial point of view, as always. So, hope you're sharp. I'll, I'll try to be. I make no guarantees. Yeah. Well, I suppose, dear listeners, you're wondering why the classic, Mr. aside from the fact that the Mr. Rogers theme song which is probably more than just a beautiful day in the neighborhood. There's probably a technical term to that or name for that song. Uh, why did we start off with the smooth tones of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Uh, because this upcoming week, starting today, is in fact uh, Design Week. And one of the key kickoff events that is coming up uh, t- uh, Tuesday uh, is the uh, Neighborhood Project. And so we will be talking about the Neighborhood Project. We'll be talking about Design Week. We'll be talking about why should people care about good design. Uh, and so with us is Jocelyn Curl. Jocelyn, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good. So you are the founder, owner, and chief strategist, right? Third son? Correct. Right. So uh, tell us, let's just introduce yourself and uh, what it is that you do and, and why should people, why do we have a design week and why should people care about design in general? And then we'll jump into the neighborhood project. Great. Well, my company does branding and web design. We do that for a lot of nonprofits and small businesses in town. And we've been doing that since uh, 14 years ago. We're going to be 15 years next next year, which is always a stunner for me. You never think you're going to make it that long. Uh, in a small business. But, you know, luckily we have a great community and I think things like Design Week kind of bring that home. Well, we all know when there's bad design uh, and then we all know that there's, well, we don't know, I guess, some of the things that make for good design. Uh, this morning, speaking of breaking the third wall, uh, I was at the ribbon cutting for our friends at Infinite Scale, speaking of uh, design companies. Um, I don't think that people know how much uh, how talented our design community is here and we are national leaders on a lot of fronts and if not international leaders in various businesses. Um, let's, let me think, uh, 
your portfolio arts festival. Speaking of nonprofits, you've been doing the arts festival for a long time, right? Yep, for 14 years, actually. <laughs> were they one of your first sort of <laughs> clients right off the bat? They were. They took a chance on us, and luckily it's paid off for both. Cool. Yep. So, Christy, uh, in your in one of your hats that we have known each other and you have uh-huh. been uh, engaged in this radio show, you were the marketing director uh, for me at the Utah Museum of Contemporary That's Art. That's correct. And so you also dealt with design and design. Did, and, and I, did you see me kind of perk up when you said, we all know there's bad design because I think that's very subjective. Some people like... So, well, this is going to be an interesting topic. Is yeah, it subjective? I think it's subjective. It's like like one time when I was professionally writing about music and I wrote a particularly unkind review and somebody emailed me back and was like, well, that's just like your opinion. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what a review is, right? But is there something we can all agree is great design or something we can all agree is terrible design? Or is it just, is it just like your opinion, man? Um, well, um, perhaps Jocelyn, as the expert, can let us know. I, I have opinions on that opinion. But I bet I don't you do. Know, you know. I bet you do. But I, again, I'm an art historian, not a not a designer. So, You know, I think overall, good design solves problems. And there are ways to aesthetically do that and implement that. But as you say, it can be a lot of things to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, if one of the goals, and maybe this is solving a problem, or maybe it's just um, you know accurately conveying information. And so, I mean, I guess we're talking about something different. Well, I guess furniture design solves a problem too. But when I think about um, a lot of design is meant to communicate a particular chunk of information. And if you're unsuccessful in communicating that information, then you are, have what I would say would be bad design. I mean, you can have colorful things and it can look pretty, but I mean, maybe that's one of those differences in the classic tension between designers and artists. So, what is the difference between design and art? Uh, designers, I mean, this is an oversimplification, but we always used to joke uh, when I was in graduate school because I was at the University of Washington and it was the School of Art, Art History, and Design. So you there, had there has been so many humble brags in the last three minutes of radio for you. This is a momentous occasion indeed. Well, you know, and also, did I mention that tomorrow's my birthday? We'll get to that. I know we will. Um, but so I was in the school. I was in the school with artists, designers, and then the art historians, who are the judgy people that tells everyone what they actually mean. Which you are. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Well, oh, that's the pot calling the kettle black. By the way. I don't have a degree in it. Um. Oh, so uh, designers were eminently more employable, um, but artists had the ceiling. Like, if you hit as an artist, you have the ceiling to make incredible chunks of money that you probably don't so much as a designer. But I don't know. That's how we just sort of broke it down. Okay. Oversimplification. But So artists are capitalists in your scenario? Is that, I mean, is that... They, I don't know, both, both cat. Well, I guess, yeah. you know, designers are labor. They're, they're work right. for hire. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. You know, Karl Marx actually <laughs> excluded, in his economic theory, he excluded art as authored labor, which was a completely different type of... Everybody just turned off their sports radio. <laughs> um, They'd rather listen to the NPR pledge drive than that's that, I think. That's true. <laughs> um, so, Justin, uh, let's talk a little bit about first things first, uh, and then we'll get into the neighborhood project. But let's talk about what Design Week is, and is it open to the public? How do people participate? You know, again, why should they? You know, why should they care? There's some key things aside from your own project that people should uh, should be excited about. Yeah, I mean, Design Week's been going on for I'm not even sure how many years, but it's put on by AIGA, which is the 
local design. Uh, well, it's a national group, but we have a local chapter here. And I think the goal is really to have a lot of designer-oriented businesses come together mm -hmm. and show their work and show their approach. So when I've looked at the schedule, we have everything from uh, metal design to uh, sort of what is branding and all of that. Uh, it's a great schedule. Uh, anyone can go. If you go to, I'm going to have to look up the, web, the website, saltlakedesignweek.com or org, I'm not sure. Uh, Just type in Salt Lake Design Week in your search you browser and it'll pop up. You'll find it. Uh, but yeah, we've we've never been officially part of Design Week uh, until this year, but we, I've attended a lot of things over the years. You, you mentioned Infinite Scale earlier. About four or five years ago, they brought in the marketing uh, head from San Francisco 49ers. Stadium. Yeah, the Levi Stadium. That yep. was at Umoka. That was, was one of the... Was. I had been on the job for maybe four or five months when that came. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely top-tier opportunities, I think, for Salt Lake, uh, anybody in the public or designers to hear hear from. I mean, I think, you know, it's very chic uh, to sort of uh, follow design. And I think that that's, I mean, it's cool. Now, who doesn't love like, you know, good design websites and whether it's furniture or, you know, websites or, I mean, we had a, were, were you at the lecture at Umoka where it was all on fonts? Entire lecture all on typefaces and fonts. It was, it was fascinating. Um, but also, maybe you're starting a small business, and you can come and see a studio and meet some designers, and they can help you either with a website or whatever it is that you happen to have. So business owners and people can come and check out the design community and what it is that we do, I would argue. So, yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit. So you, your, your capstone event that uh, you are responsible for is the Neighborhood Project. So what is the Neighborhood Project? The Neighborhood Project is really... About 22 designers coming together and branding the neighborhoods of Salt Lake City. Uh, the plan was hatched by uh, Third Son and Coast to Coast. Michael Yant, who's not our creative director anymore, but was at the time, had this had had this idea and has great ideas like this. He actually would also like to do a couple other things in the same vein, uh, branding sports teams and things like that. Mm. He's into that. We like to. He and I are jazz fans since we're here at Vivint. Uh, and, you know, when all the uh, fancy uniforms came out a couple of years ago, like we spent an hour or so looking at the <laughs> Nike, you know, uh, description of all of them and how they had designed all of the shorts for the Utah Jazz and all that good stuff. I know, Michael, and it seems appropriate to say that, like, my circle of friends all call him coach. Yes, that's because actually of, true. And, like, in, like, Depending on who you ask, ill or divinely inspired Halloween costume once. And so it does make sense that he would be looking at shorts online. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I hired him, I didn't know that story. So every time I said I had hired Mike Yacht, they yelled coach at me. Uh -huh. Yeah. That was great. So, yeah, I, I'd give uh, Michael a lot of credit for the for spearheading the idea. And then between us and Coast to Coast, Paige and Lucy are the owners there. Uh, we came up kind of with a plan, and we thought, well, we'll see if we can get people on board, designers, you know, that we're not going to pay them anything to do anything. You know, for the love of design, would you like to do this project? And we got 20, about 25 or 26 initially said yes. We have in our hands for Tuesday 22 designs. Oh, great. Which I actually think is great. We didn't know how it was going to go. Um, and it's neighborhoods all throughout Salt Lake City that we all we put in a lottery, and so they didn't get to choose what they did. 
Mm-hmm. In some cases, that was good. Sometimes that that was less good. Uh, but everybody was a everybody was a really good sport about it, and their designs are fantastic, unique, very diverse. It's going to be fun. So the the neighborhoods of Salt Lake are fascinating because as near as I can tell when you talk to people, maybe this is just the circle of people that I run and you either sort of live downtown, avenues, west side, or Sugar House, which is basically this giant amoeba uh, that as near as I can tell goes all the way to North Salt Lake and all the way down to like Murray. Um, But were you responsible as the organizers for determining what a neighborhood was, or did you sort of leave that up to the individual designers to think about what it is that makes a neighborhood? Because I know a lot of people have, I mean, really strong identities to particular places, and then we also have historic things like Japantown, which um, is very sensitive right now, thinking about the redevelopment of Block 67 and what that's going to be. So was that something that that you all sort of decided, or is this sort of the designer's take? No, as a group, we, we chose the neighborhoods that were in in the lottery to begin with. Uh, we went off of Salt Lake Platts uh, and some of the ones that are no longer around, such as Japantown, are, were actually in the lottery. In fact, that's one of them that will be debuted on Tuesday. Uh, Allie Van Cleek did a fabulous job with that and um, it'll be fun for people to see that and kind of learn more about Japantown because a lot of people don't know that we used to have one. Similarly, uh, Swede Town is actually on the Platts. I, way up north, you know, I being with a name like Christian Anderson, and I know that, don't roll your eyes at me, Christy. That uh, you know, I'm very Swedish. I have the Swedish flag tattooed on my leg. I wish I had known Swede Town existed when I moved to Salt Lake. I would like to say that I might have lived up there, but probably not. But I would have liked to know it existed. Apparently, there's a bar up there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and actually, all along the road going out uh, out north mm-hmm. towards uh, the garage mm-hmm. on Beck. There was a hot springs and stuff, and that was all part of that Swede Town area. Now there's not a whole lot of people living in that spot. Uh, Leo Espinosa, who's a probably nationally renowned illustrator, children's books and all of that, got that neighborhood, um, and he's created a fun uh, look and feel for that one as well. Um so are these all local designers? Are they national, international? How wide did you cast your, your net? All local designers. Between us and Coast to Coast, we, we did reach out specifically to designers that we thought would say yes, um, that we kind of knew, uh, or people that we knew of. And so we've got everybody from independent freelancers like Gabriella Hunter, who's done tons of work around town, to infinite scale put up uh three different teams um so there were three designers from from their group uh a fi- and a finite number from infinite scale <laughs> yes <laughs> uh so yeah i mean it was really great and everybody you know did it in their own time we had a few beer 30s at fisher to try to coax people along and you know uh we started this in may I think next time, uh, if we do it again, we would have a shorter window because designers like to procrastinate. So we've really gotten most everything in in the last week and a half. You know, I, I don't think that's just designers. I think human beings work to a deadline. They just do. You know, if you're given time, how many of us, I mean, I, I, mean, I have a nine-year-old, and the classic example of it is without some sort of... Uh, I would say the carrots, but it's without sticks or me threatening to take his Xbox away. Uh, you know, stuff doesn't get done. But I guess, you, actually, maybe you could do that with designers. Could you threaten to take the designer's Xbox away? I don't think that would work in this case, but... How do you motivate Charlie? Oh, that's... I mean, that ship has sailed a long time ago. He's 15 now. He does what he wants. Mm. Um, 
he is motivated his his love language is quality time so seriously so like I know I'm the luckiest mom in the world or maybe it's an unhealthy relationship I don't know which but um, he, he's 15 and he's read the five lo- no I mean but he's like that's oh. what he values and oh. so so like his motivating thing is if you do your homework or whatever then we'll go to the movies we're going to see the Joker tonight like that sort of hmm. that sort of stuff works for him but he is an angel hmm mm-hmm Alex, you're a token millennial. What motivates do you? Do you are you a procrastinator? What motivates you? How do you? Are you deadline driven? Oh, I I absolutely am a procrastinator, um, but I would say that I'm mostly motivated by fun. Hmm. You know, experiential. Huh. So it's a how millennial. That yeah, is a very, very millennial, millennial answer. Uh huh. Uh, when I was in the when I was in the museum world, there was a book all about the experience economy. Right, you have the manufacturer, your natural resources, manufacturing, service, and then the experience economy being the next thing for target people such as yourself. My master's thesis is this is going to sound really dated. Is this is the st- most stop. insufferable radio show stop. we have ever done? Anyways, it's called Generation Why Not Reaching and Engaging uh, eighteen to twenty five year olds in informal learning centers, and it talks all about. <laughs> MySpace. They had talked all about MySpace. It is. It was a brilliant work of it was relevant, a brilliant, relevant work in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet Tom has a copy. I bet MySpace Tom has a copy of that book in that office of this picture. The desk yeah, he was my friend, t-shirt. my first friend, Tom. Uh, you, you know that now. There's an interesting question about is MySpace good design? Because I mean, you sort of. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, that is interesting. Because you could customize it yourself. <sighs> you don't have that option with any other social media now. Yeah, but, but it seemed so bad. It I mean, was Justin? How long you've been working on websites for your company for a year, the entirety of your of your time? Mm-hmm. So you that would have been right around two thousand five. So right around MySpace time launch. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for its t- how was that designed for its time? And what have we learned from literally ranking your friends on a page, which seems like a bad idea? I mean. Oh, yeah. Uh, hurt feelings aplenty, even for the 30-year-olds among us on MySpace, yeah. you know? Yeah. Anyway. Um, the, but what have we learned? Well, I think the design flaw with MySpace was, you know, you could put in an image and then you could tile it across the background about 4,000 times. That, was, that wasn't that was good design for sure. You know, I don't even remember why we would have ever been on MySpace. Well, I mean, what, you know, what did a client, what did a client want from a website, you know, in 2005 and what do they want now and what have we like where are we it's completely different back then we were doing uh in fact we went into business thinking we would do these you know a bunch of little tiny websites five to seven pages html files all that kind of stuff and that we would make a living doing that at like i don't know six hundred dollars a pop or something which was a very flawed business plan at the time uh and then suddenly uh, well, we realized, wasn't so sudden, we realized we didn't want to manage everybody's websites. That's the challenge. At the time, things are coming on board like CMSs, WordPress, content management systems. And that changed everything. And that wasn't even when there were iPhones. iPhones don't come out till a couple of years after that. And then that changes everything. 
Well, I think so. My father. This, can I talk? Can I share information about my father? Is that also a humble brag? Is it about your father's master's thesis? No, my father doesn't have much. Okay. No, but he um, he worked on the early. He was worked for Honeywell in the defense side, and so he worked early in the database and website integration on on ARPA stuff. And then he was downsized, and he has been a web designer for you know thirty almost. Well, 25 years. I mean, he started his first client was the University of Minnesota in 1993. So it's, he's been he's been at this for for quite a bit of time. Where was I going? Content management systems. There was a reason. Oh, uh, Millennial Alex and his experience. I mean, I feel like when I think about the early pages that my father did, they were electronic versions of what almost the the logic of paper design was. It was very much getting information to people. But now I feel like so much of it is much more experience based and, and, and visual. Yeah. Um, My, as you know, my ex-husband was a is a reporter and was the editor in chief of the Crony in 1994 at the University of Utah, the Daily Utah Chronicle. And that's kind of a humble brag. And his advisor said to him, "Hey, do you think we should put the Crony on the internet?" And he famously said, "Well, why the f would we do that?" And so now he really had his finger on the pulse of journalism and the internet at that time. And so, yeah. Well, I think we have to remember that when we were all surfing the internet at that time, it would take a full five minutes to load one page of blue links. Mm -hmm. And so the thought of having to do that with a lot of information didn't seem that appealing, I don't think. Yep. In in the same said thesis, I wrote this statement about websites for museums, and I said that if a customer is going to, if you have a bad website, they'll assume that you have a bad museum. And I remember my advisors being, I don't you really, do you really think that people take your bad website and think you have a bad museum? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. I do think that. No. Grumble, grumble. Old professor man, grumble. So that goes back to the idea, though, that there is good design. Aha! Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Take that, Christy Marcy. I, well, but it didn't. If they thought that your bad design was a good design, and that it didn't need to be improved upon. Well, it knows my thesis is more they, they, they did, I guess they did not believe in the theory of bad design and what that would, that would do. Uh, Actually, you know, when we were in our early days, when we were working for nonprofit organizations, they didn't want us to make their websites look too good. Because then their donors would think they had spent a lot of money on them. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, that's not the case anymore. Everybody, I think, realizes they have to compete on the same visual playing field that, I mean, they were then, but it was just a different time. You're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture, and we are talking about design, design week, and the neighborhood project. Uh, We... Well, haven't solved the issue of if there is well I don't know I think most of us now think there's good and bad design uh, we have not really solved the issue of what is art versus design uh, we have learned that Millennial Alex likes experiences and fun so um, yeah so what's the what's the funnest what's the funnest website that you've interacted with and why is this make what what makes it fun for you Alex that's mm, uh that's a really good question. Please answer carefully. You are on the radio, and <laughs> yeah. your mother is listening. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> oh, man. My uh, mother is listening. So if, if I'm going to be completely honest, the very first website that came to mind, even though I haven't been on it in years, was homestarrunner.com, 
which was huge for people my age when we were in like junior high and it was a bunch of just really stupid flash cartoons that were hilarious it was just kind of comedy it was just entertainment hmm. and so stuff like that i spend a lot of my time now on espn hmm. uh, on that website and looking up memes and things like that well i mean meme, i I'd, I'd be curious to think about uh, not just reddit but uh what not pinterest what is the uh, tumblr is that what i'm that's probably what i'm trying to go through right they were one of the earlier sort of just image aggregators where people could just look up scroll down you have three mm -hmm. minutes to do whatever and you look at 10 different funny things and and off you go and i always forget that you know instagram is owned by facebook at this point and and think instagram's numbers are usurping facebook's at this point right yeah i think so because hmm. you know facebook is awful but instagram is <laughs> where it's i mean they really respect my privacy I'm, you know i'm not on any of them anymore I read. I tried to get back on Instagram for like a week, and it just made me feel bad. Um, so, Design Week starts tomorrow. Starts Monday. Um, I know we have the neighborhood project to go to. Are they doing? I didn't look. Are they doing the Beaux Arts? Is it Beaux Arts Ball, or are they doing the design party again this year? Because that was always a very fun party. I don't know that for sure. I know there's a kickoff party and there is a closing party, but I don't know if it's the same thing. Um. So go, look up Salt Lake Design Week, and if it if if it's the closing party is the one that I'm thinking of. It, again, I went the first year that I was here, and it was at what was then the Ladies Literary Club, which is now the Clubhouse, I think. And oh, by the way, you can vote to try to get them some economic development. Oh, I, that sneeze was a I'm long very time. Sorry. I know it. it was. There's a lot of buildup. I apologize. Uh, and that's a fun one. But the Neighborhood Project is happening on Tuesday night, and 22 designers, 22 neighborhoods. Uh, yes. 22 designers, 22 neighborhoods. Um, and so I guess we didn't even hit this in the first chunk. Where do people go and what will they see when they attend? Well, the events can be uh, hosted at the Foundry or Modern West. People may know it as that. Mm -hmm. It's the gallery downstairs and the Foundry co-working space upstairs. Uh, Tyler and those guys over there have been really great to us to kind of get it uh, worked up for next week, coast to coast, our partners in this work over there. So mm -hmm. that was a logical fit. We will have some beverages and food, and all the designers will be bringing uh, pieces of, they, it's up to them uh, what kind of format they want to bring. I think a lot of them will bring some booklets to see, and I think some of them will bring swag. Yeah. Everybody loves swag. I was looking on the website, and it said, like, flags and hats. Yeah. Who doesn't love a hat? Well, I don't know if we'll give away hats, but they, they are designing. They're all they're all designing things that are gonna would go on those kinds of things. Hmm. Uh, and so, not to. I mean, I don't know if it's a spoiler or a teaser. What's the difference between a spoiler and a teaser? Really, I think a spoil actually gives something away, and a teaser is a preview of things yet to come. Well, I sort of. I mean, we talked about a couple of neighborhoods earlier, but I mean. What are some what are some of the things that you have seen designers hand in that you are like you're blown away by that you should say you should come down and see this thing for this neighborhood? Uh, I think some of the ones that are representing the West Side neighborhoods are really interesting. Um, among them are uh, Fairmont and Fair Park and uh, Glendale. Those are those are all great designs we've got in the mix. Poplar Grove. Um, some of the designers went uh, in a very retro direction, um, which I think will be 
a nice mix and surprise for some people to see those neighborhoods represented that way. Uh, we also have, uh, we, we made up a few, we had kind of uh, wild cards in the mix, including Brewery Mile, which is not an official neighborhood, but we can all see how we've got a mile of breweries kind of developing. Is that it, like the TF and... Um, between Granary down to... Uh, well, it depends on which direction you go, how you're counting your mile. But, but yeah, we've got seven or eight now in a mile stretch. Uh, so Jake at Cole Studio did that one. He's got a lot of brewing, uh, brewery experience, having worked at Uinta. Uh, so those are kind of fun ones. Um, I mean, some of them are great, great new takes on neighborhoods that probably already have brands, such as Ninth and Ninth, uh, Central Ninth. We've, we figured, you know, this is a project for fun. So mm-hmm. even uh, those were on the table, even though they already have sort of official brands. Well, and, and neighborhoods, I mean, neighborhoods change. I, I mean, the geographic boundaries of the neighborhoods change, but also the composition of a neighborhood changes. Uh, you know, you go for a, a warehouse district and all of a sudden it becomes gentrified with uh, condominiums and then those go and so the cycle goes. And so, I, I mean, to even say that a, a neighborhood has a brand, is that brand still relevant to where it is today? I, I'm in Central Ninth literally every morning at Blue Copper. And so I have watched in my five years in Salt Lake City when that coffee shop and Atlas Architects was alone and there was a dirt lot in every single direction and now you know with, with infinite scales hat-trick building open like all of those corners and all of that land has been developed into all sorts of cool stuff spy hops coming in and that neighborhood i mean in five years is is hardly recognizable from where it was when i got here so what neighborhood what neighborhoods have you lived in christy marcy i know you've had two stretches here yeah so when i moved here the first time i lived at incline terrace apartments which are just at the top of fourth south right before it goes to fifth south like right on that bend on the road right in the university neighborhood oh okay yeah um so that was um that was where Robert lived when he was in college, and you were, then you were inclined. To we were there. inclined to stay there, huh. uh, and huh. then we lived in South Salt Lake. We bought a house in South Salt Lake when we moved back, and he still lives there. Mm-hmm. And I lived. I've lived kind of like in that weird, like sugar house, mill creaky, no man's land mm-hmm. since then. So do you? So what neighborhood do you affiliate with now? So I I say sugar house mm-hmm. because. Um, it's not quite Mill Creek. Like I'm on Highland and 27th, and I have a Salt Lake City ballot, so I figure that must mean it's Sugar House, right? Sure. Well, I mean, Sugar House. I, I've again, I've only been here five years, and so I do hear a lot of people talk about eh, Sugar House wasn't isn't like it used to be with the right. thing with Jake. There's no the, sugar the beets anymore. And, that's true. And all of that. Um, but I will say that there's a commercial center, and coming from out of town, you're like, okay, the, I understand what the at least what I think of the commercial note of Sugar House to be. Um, the University of Utah is an interesting thing. So Robert went there. You did not. I did not. Did you go? No, you didn't go to the U. Alex, did you go to the U? Um, so in the schools that I went to, there was always sort of a neighbor, a, a, a student neighborhood. And I feel like it's interesting. There isn't other a commercial zone really around our university. It isn't. I, I don't think of it as very neighborhoody. So the question is, I mean. I think there's a university neighborhood. That stretch of 13th East where Aristos used to be and where the porcupine is and where the pie is. Like that's. 
that's the university neighborhood. And then, yeah. And that is an official neighborhood, actually, yeah. as one of ours on our mm. on uh-huh. our map. Is it a big one or is it a small one? It's not that big. And it's kind of tied into an area called East Central as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I just, I mean, I wonder what does it take, you know, what does it take to make a neighborhood? I um, when I was growing up, things like a post office, like when they were trying to contract post offices uh, for cost savings and, uh, you know, my neighborhood lost its little neighborhood post office, people were, like, up in arms, like, we've lost our post office. This is the identity of part of what makes a, a community or a neighborhood that was in beautiful Minnetonka, Minnesota. Um, but, yeah, we lost our post office. And they put in a cute little boutique store. It turned out to be fine. But, yeah. <laughs> But when we talked about this last week about, you know, thinking about what makes a community and the difference between how Salt Lake was perceived, and this is sort of a whole city, I guess, as opposed to a neighborhood, but adding something like the Utah Jazz, like having a professional sports team in a city, like what does that elevate a city to in a different status? So, I mean, what are some of the key things that make up a neighborhood in y'all's opinion? I think that's a really good question. A few years ago, uh, actually, the city, the Economic mm-hmm. Development Department, had a business district sort of uh, campaign going. I don't think it ever, it didn't take off the way I think they hoped because we all kind of rely on the same neighborhoods all the time, right? 9th and 9th, 15th and 15th and Broadway. Those ones kind of got branded pretty well. And, and others were really hard because how do you decide, let's say, um, you know, Hub and Spoke, Liberty Heights Fresh are up on that corner. Are they mm-hmm. part of 9th and 9th? Are they part of Sugar House? And, the how, and like, is it the businesses that made, make that a a neighborhood, a place you can go get a bite and a drink. Mm-hmm. And especially with the way our neighborhoods are function function with alcohol laws and things like that, it makes it a little tougher, right? Can you have a pub however many feet from a school and that kind of thing? So I think we're challenged in a way that other places wouldn't be. I think other places would have sort of little corners that you could go to and hang out and our blocks are humongous yeah. yeah so that makes it less walkable yeah too. the walkability index even downtown is not high yeah for, so that you, we aren't ones where you just go walk to your corner store even if you do have yeah. one 660 feet it's a lot. on They're a big. side of a block uh-huh. yeah. um why do i remember that uh neighborhoods dot um but you know there's also uh an interesting economic value. I mean, if you've bought or sold a house, the value of your house sort of depends on, like, if you're in Sugar House, you have a different value to your house than if you are in South Salt Lake. Um, and so different, the concept of what a neighborhood is has real financial impacts on people. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, I have always thought the houses in Rose Park were built about the same time a lot of the places were built in Sugar House. And yet... Rose Park homes, same square footage, everything, are always going to be less or at least they still are, compared to Sugar House. Alex, you live in Murray, is that correct? Uh, I grew up in Murray. Oh, you grew up in Murray. Where do you live now? I live in Cottonwood Heights. So. Oh, oh, Alex is fancy. I never yeah. knew that about Alex. Yeah, that's that's sort of a is that sort of a humble brag. I don't know. Um, did you did you ever live in Salt Lake City proper? I did not. No. Does Murray like do Murray and Cottonwood Heights have sub neighborhoods? Like, is there Crocus Hill Murray or I mean, so there, like there was kind of a that demographic in Murray where like it was a lot of kind of East Murray and West Murray. Oh. I lived in the uh, I can't see my <laughs> sharks and jets finger snapping, but no, yeah, I uh, I lived right by a park called Southwood Park, and so everybody in Murray kind of knew the Southwood area, hmm. and so that's kind of where I was. Um, so like there were regions that people knew 
you'd just say, hey, you know, this kind of area, but it, I don't think it was ever an, any official neighborhood boundaries or anything like that that were ever drawn up, to my knowledge. Yeah, and it's back to the thing, and, and Jocelyn, you probably know this from your research. I mean, are there are there official neighborhood are there official neighborhood boundaries? And actually, Christy, with your job too, I mean, are there official like you are officially in, and what and what does that officialness actually get you? I think there are clear boundaries um, with regards to my job for council areas i think there is like i said like i'm in this weird kind of sugar house mill creaky thing so yeah i figured out that i actually live in salt lake by the ballot that comes in the mail but there is a lot of blurring lines i think and i think like people are super like people who live in fair park don't like it to be called rose park and so they have very specific ideas of what their neighborhood is but it's not like an official thing i don't think and so one of the things that when people come to the neighborhood project is they can see the difference between fair park and rose park right? mm-hmm. yeah and we've got a couple of maps that we can show people for sure uh and i mean even if you took sugar house sugar house actually does officially have uh 10 or 12 divisions within it including highland park and uh yeah. westminster nibley and according Nib- to the Platts, anyway, they're official. Nibbly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's always such a funny name to say. <laughs> it's just one of those words that, yeah, exactly. You can't say nibbly and not, not chuckle. Not the way you say it. I can nibbly. say it with a straight face, but I don't nibbly. I nibbly. don't do it like that. Um, Christy, we are yeah. we are 40 minutes in, in and uh-huh. I realized that <gasps> we, we have haven't a, we, even said it. Well, we have a couple different things that we have to do. Let's let's wrap with that for our let's wrap with our with our okay. our positive ending. But what we do have to do is we have to do the music do's and don'ts. We, we do. all yeah, we do. We do we have do. to do the do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Would you do the do's and don'ts? Sure. There's lots of stuff this week actually. Mm-hmm. Some of it better than others. Uh, so Sunday, Vampire Weekend is at the Complex. So that's tonight, the 6th, which, by the way, would have been my 20th wedding anniversary. Ooh. But who's counting? But who's counting? Uh, and then uh, Tuesday, October 8th, uh, Mike Doty from Soul Coughing is celebrating the 25th anniversary Soul of Coughing. Ruby Vroom. Soul coughing. Uh-huh. Is that the I don't have to walk around in circles, uh-huh. walk around yep. in circles? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. I uh-huh. haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. So um, yeah. the 25th anniversary of their seminal album, Ruby Vroom. He was supposed to come in like February or something, and then it snowed and he canceled. So he's back at the state room. You know, if he has an aversion to snow, perhaps not booking a February show in Salt Lake City. I, I think it was one of those freak snowstorms that oh. we had. That came, I think he was coming from Denver, and it was... Yeah, I don't yeah. think it was the big storm, but we had a couple fairly large ones last year. Um, also, on the 8th, Clint Black is playing the Eccles Theater. I like to call Clint Black the poor man's George Strait, but yeah. he's good on his own. And, and Tyler, the creator, is playing the Saltaire. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know Tyler. I don't there. really. I know. I mean, I know him by name. I think he is supposed to be good at what he does but that's i'm just trying to fill time here uh the ninth i've got godsmack and some 41 at usana i do not recommend that show alex Alex just made some ever recommend usana to anyone alex are you going to that one uh there's a good chance of it because some 41 so you know so you'll go just for some 41 i think they're the opener in this scenario 
I think Godsmack is the headliner. Hmm. But you have to go to USANA? You have to go to USANA. Is, is, is USANA bad design? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. In my opinion. Some people seem to love it there, so I don't know. Um, okay, so Thursday, this is a weird one. Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison are playing the Eccles Theater. Uh, The the hologram version? uh Uh-huh, exactly. The holographic forms of Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison with a live band. Hmm. We could pregame at the Bayou. Yeah, well, no. I'm going back someday. (laughs) Come with me. Uh, They're calling it the Rock and Roll Dream Tour, and I'm sure it will be something. Um, I like Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison both very much, but I'm not sure I agree with their estate's decision to do this. Mm. Um, and then Saturday, there's a lot. So back in USANA, we've got Bush and Live. Throwing Copper? Uh-huh. Wow. I, I saw Live a couple weeks ago at a music festival in Louisville. Um, and we're not. It was it was fine. If it, if that's your thing, then, then it's fine. Huh. Um, and then also uh, Keb Moe is at oh, the Eccles Theater. I do like Keb Moe. Slater That's... Kinney is at the Depot. And Paul Cawthorn, who is a really good outlaw country guy, is at the stateroom. So there's lots to choose from on Saturday. Hmm, you even hit some music that I know. Yeah, look at that. Crazy. Crazy. That is a lot. Why Why are we so... Why are but, there so many people in Because summer concert season is over. Mm. And so it's... It's bands who don't necessarily have the reach to play, a, like, Red Buttes 3,000 people, right? And so they're back in smaller venues. Oh. And indoor concerts are much easier to sell this time of year. Hmm. Well, there you go. So we'll be, we'll be on this stretch until about November, and then it'll slow down again because no one wants to do it in the holidays. And that'll be the case through January, usually, except for sometimes cool things are in town around Sundance, and then it'll pick back up again. I realized that I purchased tickets to the Trash Can Sinatras, and I will now be out of town. Oh, no. And you even bought tickets? I did. First time I bought tickets in a long, long, long time. Um... Well, I, I am I am shocked at the sheer quantity of music. There's a lot, Alex. You're you're going to how many of those concerts? Uh, of those ones just listed, only the one that I know of so oh. far. But I might Keb Mo was interesting. I might go check that Keb one Mo's out. Keb Mo's great. Well, unfortunately, I just realized that for our listeners that oh, actually no, it's this Saturday. No, uh, that might be a jazz preseason game. We're also getting jazz preseason, so that'll be on the twelfth. I don't remember. I'd have to look up their schedule. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, Did you notice that when I was talking about music, the Jonas Brothers decided to start doing their sound check? It was a little bit like they were, hey, hey, what about us? But we talked about them last week, so. Yeah, they were definitely on your absolutely to-do They were. They were on my, I wouldn't do that if I were you list. <laughs> they do not hit nostalgia for me, but for some people... I was talking to someone the other day who was like, yeah, I was a huge Jonas Brothers fan. Uh, and then they broke up. And I was like, how I don't, do, how do brothers that's what she said. I up. didn't even know that they broke up. But she was like, but they're brothers. So I don't know how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, so, I guess you can sort of stop talking to your sibling, but you're still siblings. Like, is that the term? Do you break up with your siblings? I don't know. Hmm. 
Uh, you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture. We are talking design, design week, the neighborhood project. What constitutes a neighborhood? Um, you know, one of the things that I was musing about earlier this year, and some of this is maybe the historical legacies of neighborhoods too, um, what you know, I don't think we have it so much here in Salt Lake City, but you know, you have like Robert E. Lee and you like, you have, you have historical names for figures that now we have sort of been rethinking who it is that we memorialize and who we monumental, you know, monumentalize, monument, monumentize. What's the word for that? Christy, you're my thithereth. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you would call that. Monument, monument. I don't know. Yeah, memorialize. Mm-hmm. Um, has I, I don't know enough of the history of Salt Lake, but have is there a case where we have the historical legacy of something um, has you know we now want to change it? And I'm sure what is what is the responsibility and what sort of pushback do you get for the people that want to separate you know the neighborhood that they live in that they have pride in from something else? Well. It's probably not enti- I because Utah is so new. Like I don't think there's as much. Like it seems to me like the things you would maybe want to distance yourself did not happen in Salt Lake, right? Like Mountain Meadows or that sort of thing. Yeah, Mountain Meadows would not be a good name for a neighborhood. We would no, we would yeah. we would kind of recoil in horror at that. I think. Well, I think they're trying to send uh, the statue of Martha Hughes to D.C., oh, right, yeah. to be in the Capitol. Yeah. So sometimes we want to elevate some of those folks because they didn't quite get as much attention as they maybe should have. Yeah, well, and it's funny, right? So the, the in Sugar House at one point, there was the pink house where Brigham sent all of the wayward wives to live. Did you know about this? I and, did not. Yeah, and now it's at this is the place State Park. But um, but there's a little pink house in the like in the parking lot, kind of by the like the monument when you first come in, and that's and that's what it was. And so the idea of that house has certainly changed through the ages, right? Like, yeah, I would have been in the pink house, right? But obviously, I, why is that obvious? <laughs> well, I'm not exactly agreeable or compliant in any way. Does that so. make you wayward? Oh, I think I would have been a. I, I mean, I think I think that they're, yeah. I I think okay. that yeah. I think it does. According to Brigham Young. According yeah, to Brigham, Brigham Young. Young, or my ex-husband. You know, either one. Um, well, doesn't your ex-husband come from fine Mormon stuff? He does indeed. Direct descendant of Parley P. Pratt. Who's that? He's a guy that. Um, uh, Parley's Canyon was oh. named after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, you know, anyway, well, um, we are part of a two-hour cultural powerhouse block of programming, and after us is the Movie Zone with Austin and Adrian, so stay tuned if you like arts and culture, because we're going to be talking about movies. So, I see Austin skulking around, and we always have our our guests and us sort of do uh what is it a segue a sequitur for them and we say what is your favorite movie um and we could either do design or we could do a favorite movie about neighborhoods either or i'm happy if you prefer uh, to talk about your favorite movie that either involves design or neighborhoods i am going to go with i mean it was originally a little shop on the corner but i'm gonna go with you've got mail 
Oh, that's a cute one. Yeah, I feel, and and this is back to what makes a neighborhood. I think that the whole issue of that movie was development and losing your small independent like bookstores and something like that, which Mm -hmm. I think is a hallmark of a neighborhood. Yes, King's English, I'm thinking about you. Oh, that's very cute. But not the shop around the corner, the original movie that you got Mel was based on. Yeah. Okay. I mean... That I mean, I know my mother likes that, but you know, I mean, who doesn't have the "You've Got Mail"? We were you know, talking about like MySpace, but thinking about, ooh, I had an AOL account. I was excited to have mail. It's mm-hmm. very relatable. Mm-hmm. So, okay, favorite movie involving either neighborhoods or design? Anyone? Anyone who wants to jump on it? I'll go with High Fidelity. Oh. It's not exactly designery, but I think of it. Well, it's got a lot designery. of music. I like yeah. designery. <laughs> designery. I like the music in it mostly, mm. and John Cusack. Mm. Also, you know, he's got a record store, and that is where kind of like the heart of that movie is, mm. and how he talks about music and his top five list and all that stuff. If you've seen it, that's mm-hmm. one of my faves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice, Christy or producer Alex. I can't. I'm completely drawing it blank. Uh, this might be cheating a little bit because it's not really a movie; it's a Netflix series. But I'm going to go with Daredevil because a lot of it focuses around the neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hell's Kitchen is mm-hmm. almost a character, mm-hmm. the way that they have everybody talk about it and refer to it and how it drives both the hero and the villain. Yeah, and, and I think New York and, and you know Manhattan, but I mean, certainly Brooklyn, but all of New York. I mean, the concept of neighborhoods and, and neighborhood identity is so part of the tapestry of New York. I stayed in Hell's Kitchen once. I'm more of a Lower East Side kind of guy, to be honest. But I'm also not surprised that you picked Daredevil. God, you are such a nerd. I forget every week that you're such a nerd. Well, next time Fan Experience comes to town, I'm going to give you my pass so you can go. Yeah, I, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, nothing, Christy? I can't think of really anything. No, I'm so fried. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I really let you down this time. Yeah, yes, you did. All right, Austin. So what is your favorite movie that relates to either a neighborhood or design? Thanks for having us uh, back to talk a little bit about the movie zone coming up here in a few minutes on uh, at the top of the hour on the zone. And movies about neighborhoods is interesting. A couple come to mind. In fact, only two come to mind, but uh, I'll start with 16 Blocks. It's 2006 movie starring Bruce Willis and Mos Def. Mos Def plays a, a struggling uh, poet or rapper that wants to open a cake shop someday, but he's been wrongly accused. It turns out he's been framed by the police. Bruce Willis plays a, a alcoholic cop who was part of that framing and has a change of heart and tries to get him safely from one spot in the city to another 16 blocks away for his court hearing so he can testify. Uh, And then the other one is uh, probably my favorite documentary ever called Won't You Be My Neighbor, 2018 uh, Sundance special that then went mainstream about Fred Rogers and the inception and idea and message behind uh, his TV show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So there you go, a couple shows about neighborhoods. Today on the show, we're, we have a full review of Joker, Joaquin Phoenix uh, taking on that iconic role. We have a poll question of the week, your favorite villains or most evil villain in movie history, 
And we've got some movie news and rumors, including, as always, some Star Wars tidbits for you. So it's coming up at the top of the hour right here on the Movie Zone. Uh, you're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture. Uh, so again, uh, Tuesday night is The Neighborhood Project, and it is at the Foundry slash Modern West Fine Art. Um, open to the public? Uh, yes, it's a ticketed event. Wow. So go to neighborhoodprojectslc.com. Okay. A modest $5 fee. Oh, $5. That's, that's a latte. Yeah. Yep. I mean... I, you know, I would say, why not both? Go see some fun. And there's a coffee shop next door, so you can also get... Definitely. And we'll have some food and drinks and such as part of as part of the evening. And uh, $5 yeah. and food and drinks? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, come meet some designers. Uh, we've had community council people reach out, and they're excited to kind of see what the designers have come up for those neighborhoods and, you know, see what happens with them. Well, it, you know, community engagement is a big deal. We see, we get letters from constituents all the time, and I think, you know, we have a great uh, cadre or whatever. I don't know what the collective noun of community councils is, a a cook of community councils, uh, full of passionate people. And, and one of the things that I love about Salt Lake City and moving here from a place like Seattle um, is the accessibility to our leaders and our elected officials. And, and I think people can engage in a community and in a neighborhood in a way um, and that that is impactful, you know, accessible, and, and easy to do. And I think that part of that has to do just with the culture of Utah. Like we are, we, by our fabric and our founding, we are very sort of community-based and neighborhood-based and the people around us and how we engage through, I mean, I think that's the hats off to the LDS church for the, you know, the church and ward system really builds sort of groups of people together. And I think uh, even as a non-LDS person, I think that that tapestry, uh, which I've used twice now, I use it for New York and this, I love a good tapestry. Uh, Carol King's, one of Carol King's best songs. Uh, It's incredibly accessible. Um, So, um, we wrap up the show with the same segment every week. So, Jocelyn, I think that our state does a really, really good job, and this is sort of our state tourist uh, board and, and Visit Salt Lake as well, of getting people to fly into Salt Lake City, but then it encourages them to leave to go look at national parks or go skiing. Like, I don't think that we do a pretty a very good job nationally of saying Salt Lake is such a cool cultural destination that I'm going to come and I'm going to stay in Salt Lake unless I'm here for a convention, but just because it's a cool cultural city. And so I ask everyone to play concierge for a day. Like, let's say you've got a, a cousin from wherever from manhattan uh from hell's kitchen your your cousin from hell's kitchen is coming in into town and so walk me through a day that you might curate for them to say salt lake is so cool that i want you to take advantage of this amazing vibrant cultural destination that is the greater salt lake metroplex oh gosh i would tell them to go start and have a drink at water witch Start off your day early. <laughs> no, don't start early. Uh, if, on your afternoon, mm-hmm. actually, you know, I always read those like thirty-six hours in New York mm-hmm. in the New York Times, Times kind of things. Yeah. yeah, we need one for Salt Lake. Uh, I would say look at the stateroom and see if there's a show. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, either take yourself up to the ninth and ninth area and have a little beverage and whatever at East Liberty Tap House, mm-hmm. and have then a finer dinner at pago mm-hmm. those are two of my favorites in town has the new has the chicken place open next door yet? Y- yes yeah. that's open bird too. cage birdhouse 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 mm-hmm. nice and of course you know 
enjoy your evening, and then the next morning get up and go on a hike on any number of the lovely trails we have within 20-minute drive. A 20 minute drive you can go up uh city creek canyon on a scooter you can scoot scoot everybody loves the scooters uh walk your wheels people if you are downtown you cannot ride on the sidewalk however you can when you're out of downtown it's very confusing i understand that's a psa um do you have okay so you said water which is your nightcap place yeah um I saw David Brothers uh, this morning, just coincidentally. Oh, he was at the ribbon cutting for Infinite Scale, and he did the beautiful mural on the inside of Water Witch. It's fun how all of our worlds collide. Uh, let's say you he, have a... He did the, salt, the Great Salt Lake? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, he's a very talented artist. Um, shout out to David. Uh, I always say, what is your special occasion dinner spot? You're celebrating a graduation, an anniversary, or whatever it happens to be. So so you're going out for a nicer, sort of more of an upscale dinner. What's your place? Uh, Man, there are good ones. Mm-hmm. Well, I already said Pago, mm-hmm. so I have to say something besides that. I like uh, provisions quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I think Benoli's actually is one of the best restaurants oh, yeah. in town. Yeah, uh, great know, food always. I think you're the first person that said Manolis, but that is a good call. Have we had a Manolis before, Christy? I can't think of one, no. Mm, yeah, good call. And especially now that Aristos is gone, like if you want good Greek, like fancy Greek, that's going to be the only place. Opa. Yeah, the, uh, you know, I do love the, the the nine line, that ninth corridor between Central Ninth and Ninth and Ninth. There's so many. I mean, heck, just go to Beltex Meats and get a get a meat. Whatever your type of meat happens to be, um, do you have uh, do you have a favorite coffee shop, perhaps a morning place? Uh, well, my office is right next to Mod's Cafe, so I'll give them uh, a shout out. There you go. Um, or sometimes I run into you at the other one up the up the street. And Blue Copper, yeah. yeah. That's like, speaking of like brewery mile. You sort of between Mod's and then you got the donut place. You got Blue Copper and you've got Public. And then if you go even farther down, you got Beans and Brews. And then you have uh, come on the one in Sugar House that everybody loves, Coffee Garden. And then you have Cafe Express. Like uh, that's it's a coffee mile and a half, coffee couple miles. That's true. Next year we'll do that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do like you know I do like me a good blue copper. But isn't my just recently learned that mods is a mods is actually a, it's occupational training right? It isn't just a coffee shop. They have that's correct. The mm-hmm. Volunteers of America mm-hmm. uh, and the Homeless Youth Resource Center, which is right next door, operate Mods Cafe, and it does serve as a job training program for uh, homeless youth. So you can have uh, you can have some coffee and you can help a good cause. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so. I will be Tuesday night at the Neighborhood Project at uh, the Foundry slash Modern West. Um, what is the website again so people can get tickets? NeighborhoodProjectSLC.com. NeighborhoodProjectSLC.com. And we hope to see you there. Uh, you won't know what I look like and I don't know what I'll be wearing, but you can listen to my voice. And I hope uh, introduce yourself if you come and it'd be great. Uh, Christy, I hope you will join me on Tuesday <gasps> evening. And that way we can perhaps have some snacks and a candle and a cake. Because happy birthday, Christy. Thank you, Tuesday Christian. is your birthday. And perhaps Monday somebody should celebrate your birthday. Not me. I'm going to be too busy getting ready for my birthday. But someone should be around to tell you happy birthday on Monday. Well, happy birthday. I know it's your 40th and you don't look a day over 35. Thank you. I'll take it. Anyways, and it's Always a pleasure to know you. Thank you for being my good friend. Thank you for being my friend. So, uh, Alex, thanks for producing the show. Uh, It's not your birthday, is it? Uh, Not for another month. (laughs) Okay. Jocelyn, thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks for having me. An hour just flies by. Uh, you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM, The Zone. This has been SLC Culture. Join us next week and stay tuned for the Movie Zone with Austin and Adrian coming up next.